I was doing some research recently and I was shocked to learn that a tendency towards romantic obsession and limerence might be genetic or have a genetic component. Maybe, but based on all the hundreds of letters I get, the background stories about abuse and neglect in childhood and particularly the presence of an alcoholic parent, like the pattern is so similar that I'd have to say that my theory is that there's a certain type of trauma that produces limerence and obsession. It, it, there's a connection between that sort of childhood with super neglectful parenting where a child had to dance around for every bit of love they got and a difficulty later forming loving, mutually committed relationships with people who are emotionally available. Limerence is the word for a sort of romantic obsession that's more like an addiction. It, it thrives when you can't have the person. It involves a lot of thinking about them and um, maybe stalking their media, trying to see are they giving you a sign they feel the same way. But limerence can't really keep going unless it's a little bit out of reach, unless there's a strange mix of unobtainableness and hope, just a little bit of hope. And if you find yourself thinking thinking and thinking about like, how could I tip my hand about how I feel about this person without actually tipping my hand about it? That's limerence. You don't want everything to come to light because if it ends, then you've lost your source of energy and hope. That's what limerence is. It's an addiction to a strange kind of hope of something that you can't really have. The thing about obsession and limerence is that they thrive when you're in a bad place, when your needs aren't met, when you're isolated or grieving or chronically stressed, this is when, if you have a propensity to get limerent and obsessed, this is when it comes and gets you and can consume your life. So my letter today is from a woman I'll call Daniela, and she writes, Dear Anna, thank you so much for your videos. I'm 24 years old, an entrepreneur and performer, and still discovering myself in this world. Last year, a tragic situation happened in my country, the war. I'm from Ukraine. And at the beginning of the war, I had to flee the country and stay at my friends in Berlin. I was lost and emotionally torn apart from the atrocities in my country. On top of that, I only started emotionally processing the death of my father. I lost less than a year ago. I was going through a lot of things at the time, and I felt very old and uninspired, and nothing made me happy, and the everyday reality checks through the news were burying the last leftovers of my bubbly personality. I was devastated. Until I met one guy through Tinder, and his name was Hugo, and we casually met at the park one day. We liked each other and had a connection, followed by a kiss. We were both funny, witty, passionate. One date followed another, plus everyday chatting made me feel excited for the first time in a while. I felt alive. I liked him. He seemed to be interested in me too. Although when we were planning our third date, his frequent online availability surprisingly disappeared. He even highlighted it by text one day with, I am sorry, I'm bad at texting. And I was confused to hear that because over two weeks of knowing and texting each other, he never gave me an impression of the person who was bad at texting up until that moment. The worst thing that could have happened, happened. When I felt like he was slipping through my hands, I immediately started chasing him. 
Over the next weeks, I was simply raving about him, fixating on memories I'd created with him, and constantly fantasizing about our next dates. That came to fruition largely due to my feisty nature and his over-politeness and protrudent sense of guilt. Protrudent. He didn't want to meet with me. I know it. He answered my text messages rarely and even canceled one of the dates because his friends were in town. I know these are real signs that a person doesn't want to hang out with you, but I was so blinded by this obsession, I wasn't behaving adequately. I simply couldn't help it, couldn't control myself. The real-life events I had to face were too unfair and cruel for me to handle, and now I understand that I had limerence for Hugo as a way to escape from all the news, the war, the death of my father, and new life in a new country. I just wished instead of spending all that time obsessing over that guy, who was a bit dishonest with me, one time I told him that I like him and want to keep hanging out with him, and his response was something along the lines of, I want to see you again, and I would have texted you and invited you out next week because this week is busy. Well, guess what? Next week, he texted me and invited me out, but then canceled it last minute because his friends were in town. I was journaling, meditating, trying to find peace and happiness within myself. I do feel like I stole time from myself and gave my energy and affection to the wrong person who didn't deserve it. I feel like I'm in the last stage of accepting this situation as a lesson to learn from, but I can't help but feel sad for the time I've wasted. Is it okay to feel like that? How do I move on from the situation once and for all? Thank you. Okay, Daniela, oh, I just have so much feeling for you. So first of all, anything that happens weird in your life right now, after all that you've been through, having to flee as a refugee from Ukraine, and the loss of your dad, and you didn't mention this, but presumably you don't get to have all your loved ones in your life right now. They're not with you in Berlin, I presume. Friends, um, family, you know, whoever it is that were your support people there, how hard would that be? You know, it's one thing to move to another country, a new language and everything to do that. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. You're 24. It's an age where sometimes people do that for happy reasons, but you're doing that for the least happy reasons. So you basically had to flee to this other country. And I'm not surprised that with the news and the bleakness and the way that nothing makes sense, and you know, COVID happened, so much has been going on, you got depressed. So when you say you felt old and uninspired and nothing made you happy, and the everyday reality checks with news were burying the last leftovers of your bubbly personality, you were devastated. You bet, that's totally normal. I just totally grant you space to have your feelings about that and to feel depressed about it. It's depressing. I'm impressed and proud of you that you went on a date and you went on a date and here's what happens if you had childhood trauma like you didn't talk about what happened in the past but you watch my channel and actually living through a war as you have even if you didn't have trauma as a child you can develop complex PTSD as a re as a result of chronic intense ongoing stress right I'm just gonna assume you have CPTSD and so a date can feel like the greatest bright spot you ever had. And I don't blame you at all for investing a lot of emotional energy into it because you liked him. I mean, how often does that happen, right? That you meet somebody that you really like. And I can, I can imagine that you 
could suddenly see like life could be better. You could have this person close to you. You could be loved. Maybe it would lead to more. Maybe you could stay and, you know, never have to go back to this war. And I, I just, I feel you on this. Perhaps what happened is limerence, but this is such a good example of the way limerence can get in when everything else is terrible. You know, I, you must have been feeling really alone. So you had two dates and everything was going really well and you were excited for the first time and you felt alive. And that is, that's what it is to have a crush on somebody, to fall for somebody. It makes you feel alive. When it switches into limerence where you're having this, I gotta make it work no matter what, even when you feel somebody pulling away, even when they have pulled away and you can't stop thinking about them, that's also your quest to feel alive. So I want you to respect that part of yourself. It needs to live in color. It needs to be alive. And you know, you're dented and bruised and hurt and you're, you have so much loss that's happened and so much anxiety about the future, I should think, right? With what's happening. Like as I record this video, the war is ongoing and, um, and nobody knows what's going to happen and it doesn't sound very good no matter what. So when you were planning your third date, you started feeling him pulling away and he um, texted you and said, sorry, I'm bad at texting. And then he said he would talk to you next week and you probably counted the days. And then he said, well, his friends were in town. So this is what I want to tell you. Something happened that may have had nothing to do with you that made him like you and then go, I don't think, I don't think I want to do this or I'm not sure. It sounds like he wasn't sure. And he was trying to pause. He was trying to pause and not pursue it. But most people, if they have a heart, they don't want to hurt anybody. And I think that men are particularly like this, where they will, instead of telling you, look, I realized I don't have that feeling for you, which ultimately is why anybody breaks up with another person or stops seeing them. It's just, they're not feeling it, right? It may not have anything to do with you, but they just don't feel it. It doesn't happen very often. For one person to feel it is a miracle. For two people, it's like lightning striking twice, you know? It's a big deal if both people feel it at the same time. And so, as you're dating Daniela, you're gonna, you know, they call this kissing frogs. I don't think he's a frog. I think he was trying not to hurt you. He just, he lost interest and he didn't want to hurt you. And you feel embarrassed because you kind of pressured him to have two more dates with you. And um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I'm reading into it, but he probably, you know, he had empathy for you. He knew you had been through a lot. He didn't want you to be hurt, but he realized by trying to date you, like there was no way that he could not hurt you and he needed to just stop. So that's what happened. When you say he wasn't very honest, I think that that's, that's where he was coming from. He didn't want to hurt you. And I don't think that that's the same as somebody like getting in there negatively trying to manipulate you. Now, I don't know him. I don't know exactly what happened, but in a way, I just want to reassure you, he was an okay guy. You did well. The person you liked was a good guy, but it just, it just wasn't reciprocated. And what happens with limerence or in your case, you know, when there has been a whole lot of crisis and no matter what, like while this crisis is going on for you, while you're not healed from the past and why would you be? It hasn't been that long while you're going through that. It creates kind of a pressure, you know, like a tornado could form there. And it's a lot for somebody to take on. Like it has to be a really amazingly special relationship, you know, to overcome the fact that one person is in, in a whole bunch of trauma right now. 
And so the best thing you can do is to not be dating right now, to keep healing or date lightly and to, you know what you might want to do, Daniela, is take my dating course because it helps you make really good use of it. Your, your fear is that you're, you've wasted your time. You have not wasted your time. You're living life. You're having a life experience of like loving and losing. You know that saying? It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And to date somebody a few times and you know, have it not work out. You, you will be able to heal through this. You will be able to heal through this. What's making it so hard is that huge deficit in your life of security and love and people around you. So those are your goals right now. You need security. You need the love of friends and you need people around you. And security is financial and security is um, just knowing that if you're having a really tough emotional time, there's a space for you. There's people you can go to and you'll get what you need. And so when you have more of that, you, you want to have tools, you want to have tools. So this is, go, this is why I brought up the dating course. When a relationship has ended, it's this perfect magical time where your awareness is really great. You know, when you're in a relationship, it's sort of like it puts you to sleep a little bit. When your heart is broken, whew, you can feel it, you can think again. And this is a really good time to learn how to do something new in your romantic life. So that's why I suggest to you my dating course because it teaches you to get very clear about what you want. And um, what you want is presumably somebody who's just as into you as you are into them. So when somebody's not into you, they actually are not, they're not a good person for you. And so we end up focusing like, why, why, why couldn't I have them? But the fact is they can only be a good person if they are into you. So it's kind of hard to see it when you're heartbroken, but he was no good for you. He didn't have that to offer. Of course you need that and you deserve it and you shall have it too one day. You just need to keep healing what you've been through. I don't know if you're going to stay in Berlin. This is going to be a time of change and adventure and uncertainty. And I encourage you strongly to find tools for healing that suit you, whether that's a 12 step group, a therapist, the program, my membership program and the dating course, the coaching. These are all places where you can go to get tools to change your life for the better, to start working on that trauma wound and then to find, and this is, this is a very important thing to find other women who are walking that healing path with you, who you can be friends with, who you can hang out with on Saturday night, who you can call when you're feeling torn up about what happened or you're feeling like you're going to text him again and give it one more go to try to convince him. I know you don't want to do that. I know you know that ship has sailed. So you don't want to do that. And sometimes you need a friend to kind of sit with you and cheer you up and take you to the movies or for something nice to eat <laughs> to help you ride it out and ride out that sad feeling. And the best kind of friend, I think, are the ones who use the daily practice, the writing fears and resentments and releasing those. That's like a great reason to get together with friends if you have people who also do that. And I happen to know there are lots of people in Berlin who do that. And you can hang out and meet with them, use your daily practice, maybe have them as a buddy where you read what you wrote sometimes. Buddies in the daily practice, they don't give each other advice. They just give each other a witness. They're like, I heard you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yep, that sounds hard. Yeah, I've had that happen too. They might say that much, but they don't get it. You know what you have to do. We don't do that in the daily practice. You just have room to sort of release and say what it is, what all those fearful, resentful thoughts are. Um, after you've asked for them to be removed and enjoy the relatedness of being with people who get it and, and all of you are still here and laughing together. So I wish you well. I hope the war ends very soon. I 
Um, hope you meet somebody who loves you intensely and fully, just like you love them before too long. Your mind has to turn itself inside out and go into deep denial sometimes when you want something or specifically someone who is completely not okay for you to pursue. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not a good idea. They're not actually available. But doing this is common in some of us who are traumatized as kids. And so instead of going, nope, nope, what I'm about to do is immoral and it will screw up my life and everyone else's life and I will stop. Well, instead of that, your traumatized mind starts looking for signs that it's actually the right thing to do. And in fact, it's better for everyone, you might be telling yourself. Now I'm talking about affairs, of course, and the thinking and the denial and the cognitive dissonance necessary to keep hanging on to the idea of someone, no matter what it costs, no matter what kind of mental gymnastics you need to do to believe that the horrible drama that you have just been part of creating is just happening to you. And this is the most disempowered place your mind can go. And I want to tell you how to not go into denial, how to stay in reality instead, because your happiness and your healing depend on it. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Renee. And she writes, Hi, Anna. I'm a single mom from Europe. I just turned 40. A little over two years ago, I started to work for a very small company run by my boss and his wife. Now, I've got a pencil. I'm going to circle some things that I want to come back to in this letter. It's a little longer than usual, which I usually will <laughs> cut parts out, but I kind of needed to tell you this whole story. You're going to be surprised. It's, it's, it's an astonishing situation. All right. So Renee says... The boss and his wife, their son, Ben, was also working there. I was only working there for a couple of days when Ben started to send me messages, she says. We started to text a lot. We got along well, and we found out that we had a lot of common interests. Gardening, living simply and sustainably, just the lifestyle we were both chasing. There was a weird pull from the very beginning, the way he looked at me, the way we texted. But he was married. And so I was simply confused... I'm circling that, by what the hell was going on? Today, this whole scenario would be a huge red flag, but back then, I just didn't know. The whole texting thing got more and more intense, and over time, I kind of went crazy, as in, there must be something going on. He never talked about his wife, except once when he opened up about him not being happy in his marriage. He even once asked me for a date during lunch. We went for a walk. There was this very intense moment, but he never did anything. He barely even talked to me, like a different person than the one I was texting with. At some point when I couldn't handle it anymore, I told him that I was attracted to him. Looking back, I don't even know if this was true or if I just needed some sort of resolution of this whole time-consuming emotional relationship. This had really affected my life. Nowadays, I would just say, or in this case, probably text, exactly that. But back then, I feel I was so different, like a toddler version of myself. So we were sitting at a campfire when I told him, campfire? I was attracted to him. He didn't say anything at first. He was just staring at the fire. We went back to the car and said goodbye, and he kissed me. And I immediately had this feeling of, oh, no, no, no. Boy, just thinking about this gets my heart rate up, but not in a good way. But it's because of everything that has happened since. 
I even told him that I loved him on the very next day when we met again at the same place. <laughs> Ooh, I'm not even sure I really felt that. Now imagine a complete relationship just in WhatsApp, texting basically. He wrote that he and his wife agreed on an open relationship when they married, but that he had never made use of it before. He told me that he loved me via text, and worst of all, he went on a family trip with his wife while being hundreds of kilometers away and sent me a very, very long text about that they had been trying for so long and now finally his wife was pregnant and that he would understand if I wanted to get out. I cried for a very, very, very long time. Today, apart from the fact that I wouldn't get myself into such a messy situation again, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> I would get out without a blink. Mm. But back then I didn't. There were so many synchronicities, so many signs. I had never experienced anything like this before. There was a very intense connection, disregarding the fact that I wasn't even sure all the time if this is what I really, really wanted. I did feel that at times, but after all, I think it was more my mind playing tricks on me because I wanted this so much and not. See my confusion? I went for many long walks back then, but finally sort of went with the I also deserve some love argument, which in the end led to him ending his marriage. I think what you're saying is you decided to start sleeping with him and that ended to him ending his marriage. Mm, but that's very unstraightforward of explaining that. But you did something, okay? All right. I don't know what I had expected, but the storm that that set off sort of unexpected for me. Back then, I really felt a huge connection, and I felt that everybody must have seen. I once visited Ben and his wife at their home long before we got together, and Ben told me much later that even his wife said later that she had felt that we belonged together. It was all very confusing. I keep hearing that word. Ben's parents were so hard on me. His dad was also very emotional. <laughs> His mother didn't talk to me for almost a year, and I just sort of froze for a very, very long time. I couldn't really do anything. I was just surviving. I did not have the energy to get a new job. I did not have the energy to do anything. I was just in survival mode. Ben's wife would just show up in the office and claim her man. Claim her man, in quotes. I don't blame her. What I found unfair was that he had told me about an open relationship. I don't know if I would have been okay with really having a sort of triangle, but I sort of did not intend the ending of their marriage. And with her comment about us belonging together, I just didn't understand. Of course, I can relate to it. I'm a single mom myself, and I just really didn't see the intensity of hate coming that did. Of course, our relationship was doomed from the very beginning. It was very intense at times, and there was a huge connection, but he, has, he was not the person from the texts. He was emotionally not available, of course. Mm -hmm. I couldn't talk to him anymore. I had tried before, and he instantly almost collapsed and begged me not to break up with him. I found out about his egocentric side and the little boy within him that he was living out a lot. It was all very confusing. There's that word again. After I found out that he was texting with another woman on a non-smokers forum and even read his text saying that he would love to go for a walk in the woods with her, who the old walk in the woods, and philosophize, mm -hmm, I called it quits after eight months, after a short break before. If I could erase any time of my life, it would be this time that came after that. Huh. 
it was very uncomfortable working with him and still is, and it's almost two years now. Yes, I'm still working there. I'm just now getting out of the anger and freezing and sort of getting my power back. After our breakup, I would say I was somewhere between still being limerent and standing my ground. I don't know. I think those are mutually exclusive. He started another relationship just three months later, but he would contact me again and again, and it was always the same pattern. He would say something like, I just wanted to tell you what a wonderful human being you are. Uh-huh. Or I just wanted to let you know how grateful I am that I got to meet you. Uh-huh. And I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And at least for the first couple of times, we were always good at texting, and we still were. Our texts got way over every line. He once even started sending me erotic images, and I went with it. Oh, that's shameful. We went so far as to tell each other that we still felt attracted to each other and that one day we would have sex again, all while he was still in a relationship. Naive me, I should probably say, the limerent me always assumed that he was single, but how he texted with me just wasn't compatible with being in a relationship in my world. Now, yes, I never really said no. I know that. I never set clear boundaries. It all just always escalated about something else. I usually blew up at him, not, not for nothing, for him belittling my feelings, for him, honestly, I don't even remember. It's always escalated, and I never clearly said, boy, don't contact me as long as you're in a relationship. I went with, we shouldn't text when we really can't be friends, smiley emoji, and so on. I know that's not enough says Renee. He was always saying something like, can't we talk about it? I think we're both not being honest, blah, blah, blah. I texted him again that we can't be friends and that I will no longer read or reply to his messages and went no contact. I've been watching videos about dealing with narcissists, and I do know that I could have communicated much more clearly and thoroughly, but in the state I was in back then, I just couldn't handle it anymore. And now I don't have any interest in any kind of relationship with him anymore, or in the real Ben. There is still sometimes this meme of the person I fell in love with, but this person doesn't exist. There you go. And I see many things very differently now than I did back then. In the beginning, I was completely on this route of covert narcissism and having to protect myself. Oh, you thought it was him. Okay. And while I do see many of the traits in him with me, and I found myself in many of the stories I have read, but this for me is confusing. Where do you draw the line? <sighs> confusing. When should you protect yourself? your emotions and your sanity by going no contact and when not. Um, you know, I'm just remembering there's a, there was a little bit I cut out of this letter at the beginning that was actually relevant where she thought that the issue here was that I said giving um, someone the silent treatment within a relationship was emotional abuse. But this is not a relationship. Not talking to somebody is a totally different thing, just FYI. Okay. I often think about apologizing to him and setting things straight with him because it is still uncomfortable at work, but I'm so afraid of starting this weird pattern again. I think about apologizing to him and setting things straight because, oh dear, okay, but I'm so afraid of starting this weird pattern again and this idea of having to constantly fight this, uh-huh, constantly. 
um, I want to talk things out. I want to work things out. I really just don't want that. So I just remain no contact. Honestly, I couldn't even handle a message about the weather from him. It would just be so triggering. Very long story short, where's your line between silent treatment and no contact? <laughs> okay. I do hear the confusion. Boy, do I realize how I still am limerent in a weird way. And I'm still holding on, maybe just to the, holding on to the fight. Confusing again, she says, Renee. Okay, Renee, this is going to be one of those like tough love fairy days. So hold on, buckle your seatbelt. You're a single mom. And um, I have, I was a single mom for nine years. And I just want to tell you and everybody who's a single mom that it is a grave matter when your life gets carried away in a crazy relationship or an obsession of any kind. Every minute that you're obsessed with somebody else is your emotional availability not there for your primary job, which is being the parent to your kid. So first of all, I just like that, that all got lost in the story. Um, and with that, I will just say, I recognize that as a single mom, you have to work. And also that as a single mom, you have a lot of emotional needs that nobody's meeting. And this is where limerence can kick in. I mean, limerence can kick into people who are in relationships that are presumably good and full and all that, but your emotional needs aren't met. And um, that leaves you vulnerable to this sort of thing, this sort of thing. Now I'm gonna be hard on you. I think this is an extremely toxic situation. And this guy sounds terrible and a nut job and totally manipulative and a sex addict. And I'm just going to put that out there right now. But he didn't write to me about what he should do. I don't have any expectation he's ever going to change. You wrote to me. I'm going to call you out, Renee, to say, what the hell are you doing in this job? I cannot understand here why you are still in a job for years where there's this much insanity. Okay? So let's unpack some of the stuff you said. All right. So they have a son working there right away. He started texting you. So probably you thought of this, but why do I have a feeling you are one of many who came before you for him to have his um, very typical sex addict um, kind of, it's called intriguing with somebody, gets it going on text, not at all consistent with who he is, made up some bullshit about his open marriage, right? You know, oh, is he the first guy who's ever done that? No. And women do it too. I'm not picking on guys here. But uh, first of all, I never think that some sort of uh, love triangle is a good idea for somebody with attachment wounds that you clearly do. You didn't tell me about your childhood, but there it is. It's all over this letter, your attachment wounds. The way you get confused, the way you go into brain fog and moral, moral muck every time you're about to do something terribly, terribly wrong. That's what's happening through this whole letter. So... You noticed he's a different person, but you say, oh, you know, you first told him you were attracted to him at a campfire. And I'm just saying, what were you doing with him at a campfire? It is never appropriate. <sighs> just saying with a married man, okay, he lied to you. I've got it. But just from here on out. All right. <laughs> Let me back up. Renee, if you ever want to be in an open relationship with somebody, I don't recommend it. I think that's a terrible idea. But for, if you did, don't take somebody's word for it. Go meet the other spouse. Go find out. Go find out if this is actually what they want. Because there's no other way to get clear about the lie about something like that. And when you make a choice to get involved with a great big liar, a big pathological liar and manipulator, 
and you're not able to see the red flags, that's one level of terrible. But that hurts your kid, it hurts the wife, and it hurts her future kid. Like so many people are getting hurt by this. And so, you know, who among us is going to stand and hold the line and hold the line against slipping in to a step across the line into the a dark, evil shit. You do not want to go there. It's so bad for a traumatized person to lose your bearings in this way. And this is the trouble with uh, CPTSD is you've had your perception, you've had your moral reasoning shut down so many times. I'm guessing this is true for you. I don't think you got this way, you know, just out of the blue. It's always wrong. It's just always wrong. And um, what I find particularly troubling is it's a family business and you're around his parents who very naturally were devastated by what happened here, that a, child, a grandchild was on the way and the marriage got busted up over somebody who worked there. And I can only imagine like, why did all of you decide to have you keep working there when it was just destroying the family? It was just destroying everybody. I don't know, this guy, to be fair, he's gonna destroy things no matter what, but don't let him swoop you up in his path. You deserve to make a living in a job where you can be happy and respected and honest and open and transparent and you can rise up and make better money as time goes by. Like all of those things are totally important to a, a single mom. The other thing is it ties up your emotional energy. Like you're not going to meet anybody new to go out with when all your emotional availability is just like going out like a terrible you know, HVAC machine, just like into, into just nothing, just wasted on somebody who truly is not going to love you back. Right. Oh my goodness. He's a sex addict. All right. But I think it's possible that you are too. I think it's possible you're a love addict and that that's why you have this really serious sort of cognitive dissonance going on every time you're about to cross the line and do something that is by anybody's standards, like just wrong, just a terrible idea, destructive, hurtful, um, very self-destructive too. And so, you know, there's a 12 step program for that. And I really encourage you to check it out and to check it out. I've, I've, I tell people, you know, if your problem is that you can't hold boundaries with men, I would say go to a women only sex and love addicts anonymous meeting. They have them online. They have them in person and there are mixed gender meetings. And there are some people who that might be appropriate and healthy for, but because of your boundary issues, you being around sex addicts, not everybody in a 12 step meeting is working a strong program. And so, you know, you can imagine, all right, you want to be in a place where you're safe, where people are not um, using spiritual 12 step la 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 to try to drag you right back down that primrose path into your own self-destruction. So I see this word confusion again. And at first I had to admit, I just felt like you weren't being honest with me. It doesn't seem confusing to me. It's, he seems like a very, um, like a really strong, I mean, the red flags are so great. But then again, I had to say, well, did I always see red flags and I didn't? I remember being confused as well. So I'm going to assume that you really can't see it. But I want to really exhort you to do whatever healing and program of recovery therapy. You can come into my program, my dating program. There are a lot of things you can do, but I really encourage you to make it your number one priority right after caring for your child. The most terrible thing that you can do to your child is to bring sick relationships into the family. God forbid you end up, you know, married to or living with one of these guys who creates all this drama. It's so bad for the kid. And so, you know, we, the people of your life, you know, the people of the world, we 
reach out to you. It's like, come on up, girl, come up. Come out of that little pit of badness and trouble and come up where you're safe and free. And I know what's so terrifying about that is that it feels like if you were to give up this horrible, toxic, poison, yucky, fake version of love, that there would be no love at all. But it's the opposite is true, Renee. The opposite is true. No love can reach you because you're just wrapped up in this great big drama, this family drama. Also, you're forced to be stuck in this place where the family quite rightfully is upset. They're upset. This is so disruptive. And I'm just guessing you're in a country where there's some kind of law or something where they can't fire you or something. And, you know, I, I'm assuming you did a great job the whole time, but just nonetheless, for the sake of everybody's mental health, Renee, for the sake of your future, please remove yourself from this toxic soup. You can do it. People change jobs all the time. And you can too. You can go have a neutral job where there's no trouble at all and you're just a self-respecting person and nobody knows this about your past. And privately, you're clearing up the trouble of your past. Oh, this is the kind of thing. You know, a lot of people who write to me, this is the sort of trouble that their parents were in when they were neglecting the kids, when they were... Um, you know, focusing on themselves rather than the needs of the kids, which is a very serious thing. So, okay, I'm just calling out another sort of thing. You say, I sort of didn't intend to end the marriage. And I can imagine the fantasy. It's like, oh, I can just go in and have a little bit of an affair for several months and it'll be nice and it'll make life interesting, but it won't end the marriage. It's like, that is never something that you can assume. And especially because so many things he said were a lie. You have to assume everything was a lie, right? And then this part of you, I just really want to um, bring this to your attention where you say, I found out about his egocentric side. And I think you mean like self-centered, narcissistic, all about him side. You found out about it. You did. And the little boy within him that he was living out a lot. Whoa, <laughs> there's no little boy there. It's just a mean guy. It's, there's no little boy there. I don't know. You know me. I'm not, I realize that a lot of people have this concept of an inner child. And if anybody has them, everybody has them. But I just don't relate to that concept. I think of myself as one person. Um, I suffer my blows. I am accountable to change my life. Nobody else is coming to save me. And I just don't have, I don't, I don't imagine myself as having parts. I'm not dissing people who do. But when you start getting into talking about somebody else's little boy inside them, that is a rationalization for tolerating abuse. I just, it just has a bad smell to it for me. Okay. And then you say it was confusing. I just think the confusion there is like, he's this terrible jerk who used me and lied to me. <laughs> but there's this nice little boy in him and I'm confused. It's like, you're not confused. You're in cognitive dissonance. It's called denial. This is denial is a terrible, terrible liability when you have trouble holding boundaries and when you tend to get involved with, you know, really destructive people. This guy doesn't care about you at all. Gosh. And then he's, I couldn't help but laugh that he, you, you end up like kind of in a relationship with him briefly. And then what's he doing? He's texting with yet somebody else at a non-smokers forum <laughs> and offering to go for a walk in the woods, the old walk in the woods, maybe the campfire. I don't know. I'm laughing. I, I, I know you're still in pain about this, but I want, I want you to get lighthearted and just realize you got taken for a walk in the woods, girl. Blah. This guy. 
So you say, if I could erase any time of my life, it would be what came after that. So I would just sort of say, well, could I vote for the time of your life where you made the decision to get involved with him at all? I would say, why don't, if we can reset the clock in our imaginations, let's go back to that moment, right? Let's just go back and undo. So then what came after that was this kind of like weird, couldn't leave him, couldn't let him go, texting, texting, texting. So I want to teach you um, a super ninja trick for when you don't, when you really want to have a boundary with somebody and you don't want to be in sick texts, you don't text them. You just do not, te no texting. And to make sure that you don't also talk to them, you don't work where they work. Okay. I'm, I don't mean to be snarky here, but I'm just really getting in your face. You know, if you are going to be around somebody where you can't hold your boundaries, this is going to keep happening and look what it's doing to you. It's miserable. So since you asked for my opinion and you have some kind of respect for what I understand about how this works, I'm just telling you, you're not giving him the silent treatment. You're also not going no contact. You are enmeshed. You are enmeshed and entangled with him and in a lot of pain. And how, like silent treatment is what I, when I talk about that, I'm talking about when two people are actually in a relationship and they've had an argument and one of them is unhappy about something and rather than work it out, they give the silent treatment for a day or three days or something. That is emotional abuse in a committed relationship. That is not what you're in. This is you trying to simulate having some boundaries when there actually are no boundaries. You would not be texting him if you had boundaries. So his, everything that you say he's saying is like, well, like you're a wonderful person. He's, he's clearly, he's just sitting there with his like emotional fishing line. Can I get you with this compliment? Can I get you with this little, I pity you thing? Can I get you with this? And then, uh, you said I'm hooked like a fish, right? You responded to that and you say you're naive. You're not naive. I think you're, I think you're frozen. I think you, you're going into a trauma induced brain fog about this. Like, why is this happening? Um, I guess I just didn't realize, but this has gone on for years and it's really only ever gone one way. So I'm just trying to help you like with the cold bucket of water on your face. It's like, Renee, Renee, this is all, this, this is this guy's trouble for you and you are trouble for him. That's the other thing I want you to take responsibility for. He's got a kid. He's uh, got an addiction, I think, and he's got a lot of trouble. Please don't be part of his trouble. Every person who adds to his trouble is sort of like piling on to something that's going to push him to I don't know what. You got to get out of there. The right thing to do is to get out of there and stop all contact. And I know you can do it. You'll be fine and he will be fine. It will make no difference to him. Um, you know, this is that he's doing addictive behavior where he's just getting a little dopamine from getting a reaction from you. He'll find another way. All right. He seems very good at it. And so then his thing, like we're both not being honest. That's fishing. Blah, yeah. So then you texted and said, we can't be friends and put the smiley face. And you're sort of laughing at yourself because you're trying to be nice. But that's because you have to see him all the time. Yeah. When you don't ever see him again, this will just like all the drama in your heart. It'll just go. And then every once in a while, there'll be a little memory or something reminds you and you go, oh, a little blip. And then it goes back down. See, in my in my healing community here at Crappy Childhood Fairy, everybody's doing the daily practice. So like old memories come up, old feelings, stuff that we know we don't want. It comes up and we always have the daily practice twice a day to get the fearful and resentful thoughts out and downstream, not in here, gone. We need that stuff out. Left to your own, if you're like alone and that's what happens with an affair, you can't tell people, it's shameful. 
you know, it's you're you, you're with alone with your thoughts. And especially when you're a single mom, I know what that pressure is like. And there's nobody to like help you out or support you emotionally and stuff really gets to you. It just really gets to you and it gets very inflated in your mind and it's very easy to distort and think that something that's terribly wrong has some rationale with why it's really your fault or why somehow you can fix it or, you know, all these thoughts come in and I hear it all going on with you. And you keep saying, do you see my confusion? And should I go no contact? And I'm like, yeah, um, you're worried that you've, that no contact is like, I don't know. I don't, I can't even read your thoughts because, because they're so muddled. So I'm, I'm just telling you very clearly, this is a situation to get out of. Find another job ASAP. If it has to be an interim job for you to get out there quickly, take the interim job. And um, you said, what's the difference between silent treatment and no contact? It's not relevant here. Um, you're in a toxic soup and you're part of it right now. And you would help, it would help everybody involved if you would be gone. But most of all, it will help you and your child. You could call this limerence, sure, and, and you're holding on to the fight. I think, you know, if I look at this intuitively, I would just say what I feel from you is a terrible fear of abandonment, of just feeling like you can't make it, you know, that you you need this horrible situation because without it, there's nothing and nothing sounds like it's a horrible silence and there won't be anything there for you. But trust me, if you get into a healing community, such as Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, membership at Crappy Childhood Fairy, um, a therapy group, something that helps women who are trying to get their lives together. You would benefit so greatly from being with other people who are walking that path and who you can be honest with. People you can, you know, text, you know, a woman friend that you text and you go, I'm, I'm so sad right now, or I had something really frightening happen, and I just so bad want to call this guy. And your friend says, you want me to come over? I'll come over. Come on, we're going to have some tea. Let's, um, you know, <laughs> do something together, take a walk, bake something, just do something together to help you pass through that moment where the old urge to self-destruct comes back to get you and who helps keep you on the shores of sanity and happiness and possibility and love and goodness where you belong, Renee. It's a horrible feeling when you think someone's interested in you and that they flirted with you. And then you respond in what you think is the same vibe and they freak out. People who were emotionally neglected as kids have a hard time reading other people's feelings and intentions as it is. But when limerence is at play, that's like the obsessive addictive form of falling in love with somebody who you can't actually have. If you're limerent, it can make it almost impossible to know if you're weirding someone out by confessing your love or if they are in fact manipulating you because getting the re that reaction is exactly what they want. Do you ever get torn in two directions with this kind of confusion? My letter today is from a woman I'll call Miranda and she writes, Hi, Anna, please help me. I've been living in my own private hell because I've been infatuated with a married person for at least two years. Oh yeah, that's a private hell. Okay. It has been torture, she says. It, and I've got my fairy pencil. I'm going to circle stuff that I want to come back to on a second reading, but let's go through and read Miranda's letter all the way and see what's going on. Okay. She says, it's been torture. It all started when one day he looked, he looked me right in the eyes in a flirty kind of way. He paid attention to me and that did it for me. <laughs> I have not been able to get him out of my mind ever since. I was feeling totally unattractive, old, lonely, depressed, and worthless as I'm getting older and I'm now in my late 40s. 
The next few times we saw each other was kind of awkward. I felt like I was back in high school. I got, I get the vibe that he felt the same way. Mm. All giddy, the butterflies and all. I couldn't believe this was happening to me. I didn't go looking for this, and I thought my husband would be the last man for me, regardless of the many struggles in our marriage. At first, I went full-on stalker on this guy at work, which freaked him out. When I caught myself, I pulled away. I never intended on letting this go anywhere, but it was like I was an addict and he was my drug. Mm-hmm. I don't know this person, not even his name. <laughs> He's just someone I would see at work occasionally. I thought about changing jobs, but I really truly cannot leave my job right now. However, I was able to change my schedule to an earlier time in order to avoid seeing him. I limit my time in that work area only so that I'm there when it's absolutely necessary. That worked for a bit until one day, by chance, he saw me at an earlier time, and from then, suddenly I started bumping into him again like before. The problem is that I would work so hard on staying away and getting over this and then all my hard work for days, weeks, months would go out the window the minute I saw him, but I still worked hard to avoid him. I completely ignored him and regardless of that, he would always find a way to make contact and greet me. Long story short, my take is that he might have found some attraction, but he was never going to act on it. He just feeds off my energy and is using me for an ego boost. A little flirtatious fun, maybe. That's a harsh reality, but I'm trying to come to terms with this by doing some work on myself, letting it go. So after binge-watching your videos on limerence and learning that I need to stop all contact with him, I tried to do that today. I told him, I don't want any contact. I want you to leave me alone. Short and sweet, just like that. It took everything I had, but I did it. He looked at me in total disbelief and complete shock, like I had three heads. He looked at me like I was the craziest woman he had ever met. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, gee, now I feel so embarrassed. Could I have been so wrong? Now I'm double guessing myself. But what about his discreet double looks? His blushing face and embarrassed look. How about the times that I looked back after passing him and he was also looking back at me? He would bump into me on the street. He would slow down the car and we would just look and just look at me. This happened several times. Not proud of this, by the way. Am I losing my mind? I thought that by cutting all contact, I would feel better. But now I'm wondering if it was all in my head. All I want is to be free from limerence and have peace. But was it all in my head? Am I going crazy here? Now, on top of everything, I feel so ashamed and embarrassed that I've made a bigger fool of myself by seeing things that were not there to begin with. And since I've been sexually abused by male relatives as well as strangers from an early age, I thought I would recognize when someone had an interest in me. Please help me get over this. Like many of us, I grew up surrounded by dysfunctional, toxic adults in an abusive environment, neglected, abandoned, given away to strangers like property, belittled, made fun of, mentally, physically, and emotionally abused, and beaten in my childhood, sexually harassed for most of my life. Signed, Miranda. Okay, Miranda, my gosh. That last part where you talked about what had happened to you, it really just supports you so much in why this is a struggle for you. So that part at the end, Miranda, it's, you know, it sounds like you were trafficked and beaten, um, abandoned, made fun of, 
emotionally abused, sexually harassed. I just don't know how a kid could possibly have learned what a normal um, form, formation of friendship feels like and how you would detect when just sort of friendly office smiles and passing turns into a heavy flirtation. With especially because we're talking about like sexual abuse here, that's why it, it is such a terrible form of abuse because it goes in there and just messes up perception, the metaphor wiring, the wires are just ripped out on how what you're supposed to have for detection of bad things and good things when somebody has your best interest in heart, when they are out to hurt you. All of that gets messed up. And so first of all, just I'm so sorry that happened to you. So here you are, you're working, you're in your late 40s. And um, you got a crush on somebody at work and you don't even know his name. So I take it you have not spoken much with him. And you did tell him, I just want no contact. I want you to leave me alone. And he looked shocked. And because, you know, I realize that sometimes we second guess ourselves on this. And I don't know if he was, you know, trying to lead you on or something. But if you didn't know his name, I, I don't know. I'm going to go with the assumption that you have about yourself that maybe you read this wrong. And um, it's possible that men at work would, would sort of, you know, make eye contact or be, have a slightly flirtatious energy. But if, you're, if you don't even know them, then nothing terrible has happened. The real problem here is that the emotions that it evokes in you, that this, this natural part of people, of you as a woman, of your desire to have a man to love, to be in a couple with somebody, to have this connection where all that emotional energy that you're that is part of you it's part of who you are that it's looking for its target and it's landed on somebody who's you know for all practical purposes not even real you know he's a real person but he's not real to you because he's not dating you it's you're not in a relationship with him and he's married by the way you know i just I, I want to throw that in as like, we must really use care around married people and not disturb their relationships because that's very wrong to do. Also though, the, you know, the dynamic of, you know, sexual or romantic interest at work has its, all its other dimensions of wrongness. And so I don't know what he did. I, we don't have the chance to hear his side of the story, but you know that he was absolutely shocked. And, um, and some people will say, sure, he was pretending. I don't know, but I don't know about him. I just know that you have limerence. You have limerence real bad and it's so painful. It, you know, this level of limerence of just having all that energy just continue to fixate and fixate. And you, you did a good job of, you know, separating as much as you could. And then you just see him one time and it all comes rushing back. That is like an addiction. It's like a heroin addict doing heroin one time or an alcoholic having one drink. It just sort of opens the door to, you know, the problem just comes pouring back in, sometimes worse than it was before. And so, you know, I counsel people to be realistic about this. It's not likely to change. One thing you can do to be less vulnerable to it, to limerence in general, and to this case of limerence here, is to develop your life, to have friends, to have things that give you joy and tools to start working out the trauma wounds in your life so that you are less driven by them and you have more insight. Um, and that's, you know, people used to say that to me, like, you need to go heal your trauma. And I'd be like, but how? I knew that I had trauma, but how? People just say that like it's obvious and it's not. 
nothing I had tried ever worked until I learned my daily practice techniques that I'm always telling everybody. That worked, that got me re-regulated enough. And then I started to follow basically some very traditional ways of solving life problems, not rocket science about getting out of debt, you know, only dating available people, um, working on being an honest and considerate person, just regular old stuff that people do when they want to become a better person is what I did. And that's what I teach in Crappy Childhood Fairy, get regulated and then get your shit together. That's the path I followed. So limerence is one of those things that it just, it's like an addiction that just, it, it'll grab onto your brain and sort of send you down the path of destruction every time. And that is why I say, uh, get out of there, go no contact. He hasn't done anything, you know, wrong. And you just have an addiction. And just like if, if you were an alcoholic and you worked in a bar, I would say, I think you should quit that job. And if a bartender said, well, I just absolutely can't right now. And I'd say, you can. I mean, if people lose their jobs, you can make that change if you really value yourself and your healing. But for somebody prone to limerence, just leaving one environment doesn't guarantee that you won't get into it again in the next, you know, next week, next job. It can happen again. It tends to be a pattern. And so that stuff, that needs to be healed. That needs to be healed. So I would say honor yourself. That desire to love and have someone to pour your love into, that is natural and normal and real. And that's, that's basically what's calling to you is you need someone to love. Because of your trauma, it's being misdirected to somebody who's not a suitable person to love. That's what's going on. And the cruel thing about limerence is it almost guarantees that you won't find someone suitable because you're wrapped up in something that's draining you emotionally. You, bec you become emotionally unavailable. You become drained. You become a little odd, you know, um, very secretive about what's going on. So I really urge you to take this seriously and remove yourself from that situation and simultaneously work on that, whether it's with a therapist or in a 12-step program like Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. You can come take my dating course um, and um, coaching programs and our membership community. There's a lot of people working on this very issue there. So there's a lot of help available for you. Some people think of limerence as a harmless little fantasy. Limerence is an obsessive infatuation with somebody who you can't actually have. And that's kind of part of the charm of it. When you can never have it, it can never be ruined. And it remains this place you can go to escape your life. It's not really harmless in that sense. It's more like an addiction and it feeds your tendency to chase and be obsessed, but it never satisfies you with reciprocation. So that's very different than a crush. It's a way to pour your life's energy into the idea of a relationship that doesn't really exist, not like you imagine it does. Because when you're in limerence, it sort of seems real to you that it's gonna come around, but there's another part of you that is rejecting reality, and you know that's happening because, because if you were to actually disclose how you felt, you, you'd run the risk that they would reject you, right? And that cannot happen. It's the fantasy. It's the place that you fly away to when life is hard, when it feels empty and sad. So that's part of why limerent people tend to keep their feelings hidden and instead search for signs in the other person's social media. Never ask, you know, or use divination tools like tarot cards or astrology or psychic readings to try to keep hope alive. And there's a big industry of people who will definitely take your money to go, oh yeah, no, he's really meant for you. He just doesn't know it yet. He's just running away from you. That is exactly what a limerent wants to hear. 
So when you know in your bones that someone's not into you, you might try to face reality and move on. But when your life's lonely and there's no joy there and you have a tendency towards limerence, what can happen is what I call a limerent flip, where you start to get realistic and you go, okay, this is ridiculous. It's not going anywhere. And you start to pull away from the person who isn't into you. And then some kind of anxiety and pain comes up and then you <gasps> flip. You find a way to believe that actually, actually they love you. And keeping hope alive is the lifeblood. It's, it's the addictive drug that, that limerence feeds on. And that flip can keep you trapped in love with something that doesn't exist. And it drains you of any kind of happy future. It just comes right out of your life. So how can you tell if there's actually hope or if you're flipping? My letter today is from a woman I'll call Marsha. And she writes, Dear Fairy, I'm a married woman. I have a terrible crush on my supervisor. Uh-oh. <laughs> I've had this crush for more than a year and it's only getting worse. My parents are loving, but were neglectful during my childhood. My siblings and I were left alone for long periods of time, and they sometimes forgot about our physical needs, such as food and warm clothing. Hmm. I did not intend to develop this crush. I was married less than a year ago, less than a year ago, no kids. This man mentioned coming out once. I guess the supervisor. I asked him what he meant by that once, and he said that he, he was gay, but still figuring it out. With that information, I felt safe developing a close friendship with him. I didn't think it would be possible for me to develop feelings for a gay man. However, I spend a lot of time with this man at and outside of work. We work closely on our project together. We're the only two on our team, and he is my team leader. The only two on our team and he's the leader. Okay. Also, my work is my passion. I love my job and I feel like I'm working at the cutting edge of my field. This man is a great career mentor. He's kind, fun, and very smart. We also hang out with a group of mutual friends on weeknights and weekends and participate in hobbies together that include working out and playing games. This co-worker, well, supervisor, got me a birthday gift, but my husband did not. He likes my cooking. My husband does not. He seems to want to spend time with me, invites me to activities, acts upset if I don't come, etc. I feel like he understands me in ways that my husband does not, and we think very similarly. My husband is a good man, but he works very long hours, sometimes from when I wake up in the morning until I go to sleep. We are not hurting for money. He chooses to do this for his career, which I feel second to. I feel very lonely in our marriage. And we are in couples therapy, and I'm seeing a therapist individually. I did something awful and confessed my feelings to my coworker a few weeks ago. I wanted to stop thinking about him every minute of every day, and to be completely honest, part of me hoped that he felt the same. He told me plainly that he does not return those feelings, yet we both value our friendship and working relationship, so wanted to remain friends. This all happened via text message. <laughs> I was hoping the clear rejection from him would help me get out of the limerence, but it hasn't yet. We're still spending a lot of time together, and I'm still seeing signs that he actually wants to be with me, but can't because of our circumstances. I keep telling myself that he meant what he said about not having feelings for me, but I don't want to believe it, and I fantasize that if I leave my husband, he will reveal his true emotions for me. 
due to my faith, divorce would be very difficult. I, it would undermine my understanding of love and marriage, and it would hurt my husband, which I don't want to do. However, I'm desperate to find happiness, and so I'm considering it. How can I accept this rejection and move on? Will I ever be able to heal from this limerence if we remain close friends? Thank you. And that's from Marsha. Marsha, all right, I circled a bunch of things here. I'm going to come back through and talk about what I read and what you told me. And I think I see what's going on here. All right, so you're married a year. You have a supervisor. You have a huge crush on the supervisor who is gay and who's not into you. Very difficult situation. I've had this crush for more than a year. More than a year, but you're married a year, so this has been going on the whole time. Um, and then you don't think it was so much your parents. They were loving, but they were neglectful, forgot to feed you. Okay, maybe that's a factor. Um, people can get limerent anyway, I think. Uh, but sometimes I think limerence is a way that people express a need to escape. That it may, you know, your life may not feel very fun at home and you're lonely right now. And work is exciting. And um, yeah, so you said you didn't intend it. I, I guess no one does. You were married less than a year ago. So I'm just saying you had the crush before you got married. And I'm sort of calling you out on that. Like what happened here? Why did you decide to get married anyway? Um, your, your guy at work mentioned coming out once and he said he's still figuring it out, which is interesting. So maybe he is still figuring it out. Maybe this lends a little credence to that. He's kind of playing with you a little bit like, well, I'm gay, but who knows? Why don't you keep adoring me? I don't know. I'm not really getting manipulation from him. It just seems like you guys are good friends. And I'll tell you when, when somebody turns out to be limerent on a friend and the other person understands it to be a friendship, staying friends is not a great idea. And I, I just don't, I don't see any, I don't see that turning into anything good. And I, I'm surprised it doesn't make him uncomfortable, but it sounds like he enjoys the friendship too. And he's sort of trusting you and it's possible. I think some people are good at it. Maybe he's good at that kind of thing of just totally detaching from romantic feelings in order to hang out with somebody. But mm, I don't see that happening for you. I don't see any happy outcome from this. So he got you a birthday gift. Your husband didn't. That's kind of weird that your husband didn't get you a gift. It sounds like resentment or something. Um, and you're comparing the two guys. I, it's like you're trying to build a case and say why you should leave your husband for this guy. Um, he understands you. Your husband does not understand you. He, he wants to spend time with you. Your husband's always at work. Uh, you feel second to his career, but you've been married less than a year. So I'm just kind of questioning you. Like, is it a shock to you that your marriage is the way it is or that your husband works so much? Or were you, was, was something going on with you when you decided to go forward with marrying somebody? It sounds like you actually don't enjoy or particularly love. So what comes up here is this faith thing that you're telling me that it doesn't condone divorce, but I don't know what your faith is, but I'll tell you what, if it doesn't condone divorce, it definitely doesn't condone an emotional affair conducted at work. If you intend to stay in your marriage, I'm going to suggest very strongly that you find a way to cut off contact with this other guy. You're doing the limerent flip where he told you plainly, you tried to accept it and then your, your brain just went, nope, can't accept it. I believe, I'm, I see signs that it's not true, but I'll tell you why we know it's not true. We know it's not true because he said it's not true. That is your evidence. 
if he was in love with you and you had said, look, I'm in love with you, you know, how do you feel? That was his chance. And if that chance didn't change the game for him, it, nothing will. And he's gay. I'm just going to say it again. He's gay, honey. <laughs> he's, it's not a good choice for you. I think you're unhappy in your marriage. And I think you're having trouble facing that. And um, I'm not going to psychoanalyze it too much. Who really knows what all of this means? But I will say that if you've been married less than a year and you're comparing your husband negatively to any other man, something's not right. If you're saying you feel lonely, if he's not giving you a birthday gift, it just seems to me that maybe the marriage was a mistake and um, it hasn't even been a year. You don't have kids yet. Maybe this is your chance to not be with anybody. Definitely not with a gay man. Don't be trying to get, a, get together with a gay man and uh, to allow this marriage to fall apart because I don't hear that you're into it. This faith thing. I don't know. It's, it just doesn't, something's not right in what you're saying. Like, oh, I couldn't do that. It would hurt him. But of course you're hurting him right now, even if he doesn't know it. Here's a concept I want to share with you. An emotional affair is where you take all your delightful, creative energy that you would share with somebody who is your mate and you give it to somebody else. And so they get to have all the fun with you and you come home all, eh, you know, you're so boring. I don't know. I just don't have it for you. You don't say it, but you're not bringing that sparkly energy of somebody who's really invested in a relationship. If you loved somebody and they were having an emotional affair, you would feel it. You would feel the absence of that fun and sparkle and love, even if it weren't a physical affair. So I'm just pointing out, you show every sign of being very unhappy in your marriage. If you still want to give it a go, the only honest thing to do is to stop having contact with this guy. And that's a tough situation. And I mean the guy at work. It's tough because you say you love your work, you're passionate about it. But I also want to point out you're having an emotional affair with your boss. So there's just so many red flags all over this. This is like a self-destruct move here. So I don't know what you were thinking, I would say, but I'm saying um, I think it's time for you to have some alone time to really reflect and decide if you're going to give any energy to your marriage or if you're going to end it. But you're not going to pursue this thing with a, a boss who has let you know he's gay. If you end up single, um, many other options will appear on the table. And I hope at that time you find somebody whose sexual orientation points towards you. That would be the most positive thing. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.